Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Friday, January 27th. Coming up, a KCUR investigation has found out a former employee stole millions of dollars from a major Kansas City economic development agency. The EDC is also saying that he managed to wire money that belonged to the agency to himself. Plus, the team that scores more points in Sunday's AFC Championship at Arrowhead Stadium won't be the only winners. It's now the fifth year in a row the game is in Kansas City, and businesses have benefited big time. From past years, there's been an economic lift in the city of about $13 million when hosting the AFC Championship game. We'll hear where all that money comes from. But first, some headlines. Kansas City's Troost and Longfellow Elementary Schools will close at the end of the academic year. Kansas City Public Schools Board of Directors voted 2-4 to four to close the schools Wednesday night, dialing back an original plan to close 10 of them. Meanwhile, some community leaders say they'll lend a hand to avoid more closures in the future. Greg Lombardi is executive director of the Likens Neighborhood Association. He says they'll be recruiting families to enroll at Whittier Elementary, previously on the chopping block. We have a school that's worth fighting for. Uh, It's doing an excellent job for kids who are at risk, and we are going to continue fighting for it. District officials are also asking for help boosting enrollment and passing a bond in 2024. The Cass County Commission is formally opposing a landfill in Kansas City, joining several other local governments who have spoken out against the rumored project. KCUR's Chris Fortune reports Kansas City denies it has any plans to build a landfill. Cass County joined Ray Moore, Lee Summit, and Grandview to oppose a landfill near those cities' borders in southeast Kansas City. All have concerns about economic development, noise, and odor pollution. And most said they want to be included in the decision of where to place a potential landfill. But Kansas City calls any statements about a landfill, quote, hypothetical. In a statement, the city manager's office said there has not been a submission to the city for a landfill project and that if a proposal came forward, it would take years to develop. Seven Republican lawmakers have proposed a near-total abortion ban in Kansas. Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service reports it comes despite an overwhelming popular vote last year rejecting an anti-abortion ballot measure. The bill would ban abortion in Kansas beginning at fertilization and would not include exceptions for rape, incest, or to save the life or health of the mother. It would also restrict the use of fetal tissue in medical research and could effectively outlaw in vitro fertilization. Teresa Woody is a Kansas City attorney who's represented abortion providers. She said the bill would face almost certain demise in Kansas courts. It's an unconstitutional bill on its face. Co-sponsors said the bill provides equal protection under the law for the unborn. We'll be back after this. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Thank you. 
Before his death last year, Lee Brown worked as the controller of the Economic Development Corporation of Kansas City, overseeing the finances of a hugely influential agency. In a lawsuit filed last week, the EDC is now accusing Brown of stealing $3 million from his employer and lying about basic facts like his work history and his family. Steve Vakrat of the Midwest Newsroom investigated that story. He told me that through the lawsuit, the EDC is trying to recover the money Brown stole. And it isn't the only place Brown has stolen from. What claims has Lee Brown made about his past that turned out to be untrue? So according to this lawsuit, he said that he had a degree in accounting from the University of Missouri, that he had a law degree from Howard University with a good GPA, that he worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is a prestigious accounting firm, um, that he worked as a controller for another company in town. And what the lawsuit says is none of that is true. If the EDC had done a proper background check, they would have found all kinds of problems uh, and misrepresentations from his background, but that even some red flags were raised uh, during the hiring process, and those appear to have been disregarded or uh, put aside. Brown has a pretty long list of crimes. Who has he been accused of stealing from? So he worked at Union Station for a short time, just a month. Uh, He started there in 2007, and according to some police documents that I had found, he was placed on suspension a month after he started because their background check turned up some inconsistencies. And after that, they had discovered that he had used another employee's uh, Union Station credit card to make uh, various purchases for himself, including at a, at a bar in Grandview. In the lawsuit, the Economic Development Corporation accuses Brown of stealing a lot of money while he worked for them. What does the lawsuit say about him? Well, they say that in all, they lost $3 million because of him. And part of that is because the salary that he made for, during the six years he made there, including benefits and PTO and all that stuff, they're saying that because he lied and misrepresented himself to get the job, that money is included in the loss that the EDC sustained. But the EDC is also saying that he managed to wire money that belonged to the agency to himself and that the bank that worked with the EDC had even made phone calls to another person at the agency to confirm the validity of the wire transfers and that the validity of those wire transfers was confirmed. The lawsuit also accuses EDC's former interim chief executive, Teresa McCord, of financial misdeeds. What role has she played in all of this? So she was who I was talking about a minute ago. Uh, She was the person who confirmed those wire transfers. They also say that she just failed to supervise Brown, that she failed to do a proper background check on him. About a year ago, people may remember, I reported on how she was dismissed from the agency because she had unilaterally changed uh, agency policies to get rid of anti-nepotism clauses in their policies and then started paying family members uh, to do work for the, uh, for the agency. So the EDC is a powerful organization with a lot of influential members, and this hasn't been the group's only controversy, as you said. What does all of this mean for the EDC? Well, the EDC is now under new management. They have a new CEO. He didn't respond uh, to my request for comment on this story, but my reporting just in general seems to bear out that he is uh, you know, trying to right the ship with the EDC. They've had 
problems with uh, audits in the past. Um, it's an agency that's had a lot of turnover and turmoil. They were without a permanent CEO for a long period of time. And so, you know, we'll have to find out what this means for the agency, whether they can kind of get their act together. They are an important agency. They facilitate a lot of development deals. And these types of issues represent serious problems with the agency. So I'm wondering, the agency lost a lot of money from Brown. What could that money have been used for? Well, for example, in the last tax year that uh, I was able to get on their tax returns, because they're a nonprofit, the $3 million would be roughly half of their annual budget, or at least the revenues that they brought in. Now, the money that Brown is accused of diverting over time, you know, it's over six years. But that's $3 million that you can use to hire more employees, start new initiatives. I mean, whatever they, you, you know, whatever they would have wanted to do with that money to further their actual mission. You know, some of the money that he's accused of stealing or diverting to himself is a settlement from a major bit of litigation involving a Swiss bank that was accused of manipulating interest rates, global interest rates. That's $200,000. I mean, that's money they could have used for any number of things, um, but that uh, apparently went to uh, Brown's personal use. Have you gotten a response from anyone involved in this story? No, I've called the EDC. I've called the mayor who sits on the board, uh, the city manager who is also on the board, and have not gotten a response from anyone yet. I left. Uh, I tried to get a hold of Teresa McCord, uh, left a letter at her door with uh, some questions. But I did manage to make contact with Brown's widow. Brown passed away in 2022. Brown's widow told me that she's just finding out about all this stuff and, uh, and declined to comment further. That was investigative editor Steve Vakrat of NPR's Midwest Newsroom, based here at KCUR. The Kansas City Chiefs will host the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game on Sunday to decide who goes to the Super Bowl. It'll be the fifth straight year the Chiefs host the game from Arrowhead Stadium. That's an NFL record. And Greg Eklund explains for KCUR, it's a windfall for Kansas City businesses. Last year, on the day of the AFC Championship game, also against the Bengals, almost 400 private planes flew into Kansas City's Charles B. Wheeler Downtown Airport. Joe McBride, a spokesman for the city aviation department, puts it in perspective. It's in one day, 57% more business jets, turboprops, small planes, you name it, arrived at that, that airport that were not normally uh, scheduled to go there. McBride says those passengers are folks who can afford it. From team owners to network executives to sponsors um, to folks that just might happen to you know be uh, executives at a at some company that has the, a private jet and they can can do that and also just it's just a bunch of folks that that uh, um, pool their money and charter an aircraft to, to fly and see the big game most of those visitors don't stick around after the game but for others who do people who fly in commercially or drive to Kansas City they make a big impact. From past years, there's been an economic lift in the city of about $13 million when hosting the AFC championship game. Kathy Nelson from the Tourism Industry Group Visit KC 
compares that to when Kansas City hosts the men's and women's Big 12 basketball tournaments in mid-March. That typically is between 15 18 million with both men's and women's over the course of four days. So it, it's certainly up there with some big-time events that we host. The Chiefs' regular season success carries over to unplanned profits for hotels and restaurants like Taps on Main, just south of downtown. As a business owner, yeah, it's great. I mean, five five years, it's nuts. It's, uh, <clears throat> we're lucky. Co-owners Grant Tower and his brothers, Jason and Mark, are riding that wave, though they have their hearts with another NFL team. My dad is from Tonawanda, New York. It's a suburb of Buffalo. Uh, he came here for college, met my mom, and stayed. Uh, and, and raised us as Bills fans. If the Bills had won last Sunday instead of the Bengals, this year's AFC Championship would have happened in Atlanta. It would have meant a missed opportunity for local business owners. Again, Kathy Nelson. Would we have been disappointed had the Chiefs played in Atlanta? No, because they would have been playing in the AFC Championship game and you still would have heard Kansas City mentioned in the broadcast. That's a marketing lift. So, of course, having those dollars influxed into our community is important, but we would never plan on that. For those who don't make it to Kansas City this weekend, Sunday's telecast on CBS will undoubtedly show the city's sights and sounds and at least one shot of barbecue. Nelson says all of it is an important draw for visitors later on. I had someone from Canada stop me the other day. He's like, I keep hearing about Kansas City, and I just happened to be at the post office in Union Station. He had no idea who I was. He was behind me as I was walking into Union Station. He's like, can you help me? I need to figure out where to eat. I keep hearing about this place. Another boon? She says non-sports followers keep hearing about this one guy named Patrick Mahomes. People that I know from around the country are like, oh, they just know Mahomes. And they've asked, do you call him Pat or do you call him Patrick? I'm like, well, we're not really buddies, but of course, um, they certainly know the name Mahomes. Beyond this weekend's AFC Championship, Kansas City is in store for a series of major events this year, including the biggest sports-related event the city has ever seen when the NFL Draft takes place in late April. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Greg Eklund. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujiadi. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Steve's story on Lee Brown and Greg's coverage of this weekend's Chiefs game, visit KCUR.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. On Monday, we'll hear about several anti-LGBTQ bills that have been filed in the Missouri legislature. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.